2: Hi, I'm Lydia Brown here with Carmen Baskoff, and we're the producers of Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. We're so glad to have you listening to this podcast, and we hope that you will support the work that we do on this program by giving us a call today. The number is 1-800-584-2788, or you can go online to wnpr.org. This podcast may be an important part of your routine, um, so think about the times uh, whether you're on your commute or uh, on a run, all the times you listen to Where We Live and, and what that means to you. And if that's something you value, give us a call, 1-800-584-2788, or go online to wnpr.org slash donate. And thanks.
3: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Social isolation isn't good for anyone. It can lead to depression and other health problems. Coming up, we'll talk with a retirement coach on ways older adults without family support can avoid becoming isolated. First, most places try to find ways to attract younger Americans who often flock to cities like Boston or New York. But urban living isn't just for the young. Today where we live, we talk with baby boomers who've traded in their suburban homes for downtown apartments. In the last five years, the Capital Region Development Authority has helped create 800 or so housing units in downtown Hartford, and CRDA says 15% of those units are occupied by adults 46 years and older. Two of those downtown dwellers are in studio with me to talk about why they made the switch. Are you one of them? Have you moved into any of Connecticut's cities after years in the suburbs? We want to hear from you today. Join the conversation, 860-275-7266, or you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Again, I want to welcome our in-studio guests first, uh, Jane Smith. Uh, She and her husband, Coleman, uh, used to live in Suffield. They sold their home and moved into an apartment uh, on Main Street in Hartford, uh, located in the former Bank of America building. Jane, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. And Marguerite Rose, again, she moved with her husband, Bob, into a condo in downtown Hartford's Bushnell Tower. Uh, She used to live in West Hartford. Marguerite, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. So we wanted to find out what's uh, prompting uh, people, especially those 55 and older, to uh, leave their suburban homes uh, where they've uh, lived their lives for many years and to move into downtown areas. So, Jane, I'll start with you. You actually live in, you used to live in Suffield, which is where I live uh, today. It's a great community. Mm -hmm. Tell us about Suffield um, and what you remember about that community.
1: Oh, it was a great community to raise our kids. Uh, Beautiful, historic uh, Main Street where we lived actually with sidewalks so we walked we, c- we could walk to the center although we didn't do it a lot but we could um, and made great friends and it's just beautiful there a lot of farmland And uh,
3: Main Street in uh, Suffield is a very ideal location because of the walkability the sidewalks there mm-hmm. and the beautiful historic homes you raised children in Suffield? I did two two sons and how long have you been an empty nester? Oh, over uh, ten years or so, yeah. Was that uh, one of the reasons that you and your husband decided to move?
1: Yeah, once the the um, boys grew up and move out, moved out, we, uh, you know, we stayed in the house a while, and then we decided we were only living in like the family room, kitchen, and bedroom, so we decided to downsize. Oh, Marguerite, what about you? Where did
0: you live for most of your time in Connecticut? Most of my time was in Pomfret, Connecticut, and then in Plainville for a number of years. My total years in a city in Hartford have been about nine.
3: And so Pomfret, we were actually just there, the Where We Live team, uh, to uh, spend time at the Vanilla Bean Cafe. Which Absolutely. Is, uh, <laughs> know it well. <laughs> it's a hot location. But Pomfret, uh, the quiet corner. It is. Uh, tell us about your community uh, for the time that you were there. In Pomfret? Yes. So
0: Pomfret hasn't changed since I was there. There's a little general store, a gas station, and the post office. And I love that part that it hasn't changed. But you can safely walk around anywhere in Pomfret.
3: And uh, when we think about uh, Pomfret, again, it's a quiet corner. uh, So it's pretty much country living, so to speak, yes. uh, in terms of that was a, a nice uh, a lifestyle for you uh, for many years uh, with uh, your husband, who I believe is deceased. I'm sorry to hear that.
0: Yes, late husband. But uh, from Pomfort to Plainville for another 25 years or so.
3: And why did you move from uh, from Plainville, I believe, then to West Hartford?
0: Yes, yes. Actually came into the city for five years, left, went out to Play to West Hartford for a short time and then came back to the city because I missed it.
3: What is it about downtown Hartford that you love so much?
0: I love going outside, walking around, and always knowing that there's going to be some type of activity. Could be an event or it could be just my neighborhood socializing. Bushnell Park always has something happening.
3: Can I ask uh, you, Jane, uh, first, when you decided to move to Hartford, what was the reaction from your Suffield friends?
1: Oh my gosh. Some people said you're so brave. <laughs> I think brave to sell the house and get rid of all of your stuff, but then like to go to the city and just the unknown. And then, how did
3: you? How were you able to find this particular place to live in downtown Hartford? Was it difficult to uh, to choose where to live?
1: Well, first we started looking for 55 and older communities, and then we didn't really find anything that we liked. And so my husband saw saw that there were so many units coming online, and he said, "What you know? What do you think about moving to an apartment in Hartford?" And so we looked at seven seven seven. It was under construction, so we had to wear hard hats and go to the twenty fifth floor. And the unit was just beautiful. Um, So we looked at a couple of other places, but settled on seven 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 because it was brand new and the views are great.
3: Marguerite, how about you? Uh, How did you choose Bushnell Tower? We chose
0: Bushnell Tower, I think, because of the views of the park. And again, when we first went to see the place
3: that we live in, we were pleasantly surprised. Uh, today, here on Where We Live, uh, we're talking with uh, Connecticut residents 55 and up who are trading in the suburbs for downtown living. My two guests, uh, Jane Smith and Marguerite Rose, both live in downtown Hartford. If you're also uh, someone who's thinking about downsizing after living in the burbs or um, you really appreciate living in a downtown area, whether it's Hartford or Stamford, Bridgeport uh, or New Haven, you can join us too, 860 275 7266. Jane, you said something earlier. About About your husband, uh, you and your husband first looked at the planned 55 and over communities. So Mm -hmm. can you give me an idea of what parts of the the state uh, that was? And what was it about those communities that didn't really feel right for you?
1: We looked right around Suffield, because we have a lot of friends there, and we still see a lot of them. And um, so we looked in Windsor, Windsor Locks, Suffield. And um, I don't, I don't know, it just, we didn't just find anything that suited us. And I think it, during our search is when we came up with the apartment idea, and we just we just bagged the search and went right for the apartment. So and it's been a great, great decision.
3: And Marguerite, was it difficult for you to downsize? Uh, as Jane mentioned, uh, brave to get rid of all the stuff you accumulate in a family home for years. Um,
0: one thing that people don't always know about Hartford is that you don't have to always downsize. Um, We have 2,000 square feet and some storage areas. So um, you do make some changes, but if you want to keep your stuff, you can find a way.
3: Uh, What are some of the, I guess, the tasks that uh, homeowners have on the weekends that you don't have to worry about with your condo, Marguerite? (laughs) Jane and I were talking about that before we came
0: on air. Um, I love snowstorms now. (laughs) I, it's beautiful.
1: <laughs> we don't, we look down and we kind of chuckle <laughs> as we enjoy the beauty but don't have to shovel. <laughs> uh,
3: but also being so close to lots of different activities in downtown Hartford. You mentioned uh, loving uh, being near Bushnell Park. But what are some of the places that you enjoy going to besides the park?
0: The Wadsworth Athenaeum, the library, the park, the Capitol. There's always something going on at the Capitol
1: outside inside Jane what about you well the restaurants and um, spotlight theater so there's movie theater and infinity hall and um, we've just we've met a lot of people that are living downtown so we'll go to restaurants and we'll run into people that we know
3: uh, coming up, we're going to be talking with an expert from AARP about how communities, whether they're in a city or in the suburbs, uh, where it's important to plan out communities that are walkable. And uh, we're going to talk more uh, with her in just a few minutes. Uh, but I was curious, Marguerite, uh, when we think about city living, uh, when people get used to living in the suburbs, they have uh, you know, notions of, of downtown areas. Were you ever worried about your safety? You
0: have to be aware, like you do anywhere, and you do learn that there are certain places that you shouldn't be walking by yourself. You can walk with someone else. You should have, you know, another source of, I don't want to say necessarily protection, but if you're going into an area that you are a little bit concerned about, walk with someone else. And most people are just friendly. You get to know, you know, who you can say hello to and who you should— you know just continue to walk by
3: oh what's interesting too about your story uh, Margarita? we haven't uh, mentioned yet to our listeners you have a consignment store in west hartford but you live in downtown hartford so you're doing the reverse commute i take fast
0: track it's wonderful <laughs> Fast track
3: for seniors it's wonderful <laughs> <laughs> and uh, jane what about you do you enjoy not having to pop in the car so much
1: Yes, we walk everywhere. In fact, when we moved downtown, people said to us, oh, you'll be in West Hartford Center all the time. But we hardly ever go there because there's so much to do in Hartford and so many mm. restaurants and things to do. So we, we stick around and walk a lot, although I do reverse commute also. So I do get in the car and drive to work.
3: <laughs> oh, how far do you work?
1: I work in Simsbury. So about 30 minutes. Mm.
3: Yeah. So still having to deal with the commute.
1: <laughs> yeah. Although I did, the other day I took the bus because I didn't have a car. It was in the shop and it was awesome. So I need to do that more. So both proponents of mass transit. And
3: also interesting, uh, Marguerite, uh, when we think about a lot of people love living in West Hartford, uh, but you prefer downtown Hartford. I do. And you want me to tell
0: you yes. why? Yes. <laughs> I, I just like the bustle of a city, and believe it or not, I sleep well in the city, more so than when I was in West Hartford or Plainville, because in a house, you're having to think about the inside and the outside, whereas I go up to my condo on the 22nd floor and shut the door, and the world goes away. It's your own time.
3: Do either of you get a sense that there are more uh, Connecticut residents who are in your age group uh, interested in moving in the city, or is it still pretty rare? Marguerite? I
0: think it's pretty rare.
3: Well, you gave some um, some
0: percentages before, and you said about 15%, and my first reaction in my mind was, is that all? seems like everybody I know is here. Mm-hmm. But, no, I think that people prefer not to leave their homes, in many cases, or they have families with young children, so they need the space for them to visit.
3: And Jane, this is a. Um, do you find that you're meeting more people uh, like yourself in downtown Hartford?
1: Some, uh, but not a lot. Like in our building, there are some empty nesters, but it's mostly young people. Um, but we've met. We have met a lot of people, fair amount of people um, that are living in the city, like Marguerite, um, that. Um, our older empty nesters, and some have actually been to, in the city for a while, but we're noticing a big increase in just the, um, the amount of traffic in the city on the weekends and nights, so that's great.
3: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio.
1: I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. My guests
3: in studio today, Jane Smith and Marguerite Rose, who both live in downtown Hartford after years in the suburbs. They're going to stay with us for our next segment as we speak with an AARP expert on how both cities and towns can make more livable communities. What would you like to see your community do to better serve both its older and younger residents? You can join us, too. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nolpithanchel. Cities aren't just for millennials. Baby boomers are leaving the burbs behind for urban living. Earlier I was speaking with two Connecticut women who now live in downtown Hartford, Jane Smith and Marguerite Rose. Now what factors are leading older Americans to trade their suburban house for a smaller apartment or condo in the city? We heard from Liz on Facebook who writes, I'm 60, I love my rural community, but often think it'd be nice to live in a small walkable city like New Haven. The idea of easy." The access to art, theater, lectures, and maybe a plot in a community garden appeals to me, but not for another 10 or so years. Uh, Brenda writes uh, she likes being near the plays, access to gyms, and just people moving about. AARP says access to mass transit, affordability, and letting go of the burden of having to physically maintain their homes are the main factors driving the push towards what's called walkable urbanism. For more, joining me now by phone, Danielle Aragoni, director of AARP Livable Communities Initiative. Danielle, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about, um, we're trying to put our finger on whether there are a lot more baby boomers moving to the cities. Uh, Depending on where we look, uh, the data is scattered. Uh, What does AARP know about uh, Americans over 55? What are they looking for?
4: Well, a couple of trends that I think your earlier speakers definitely alluded to. One, a lot of people for the most part want to be able to age in place. Um, we've done surveys over the years that the message is pretty consistent that people for the most part want to be able to age in the same home or the same community where they've lived most of their life. Uh, well over three quarters of people 50 and above say that they want to be able to do that. But only about half of the folks in our most recent survey, 50 and above, say that they'll be able to. So I think what that indicates is, Perhaps a disconnect between the kinds of homes that people are currently living in and the kinds of homes that they might like to live in in their future years, as well as you know, some interest in some of the amenities that your earlier speakers alluded to.
3: Uh, When we think about uh, city life, it's not for everyone, but in terms of this Livable Communities Initiative by AARP, what are some of the uh, factors that both cities and suburbs could uh, take into account when they're thinking about ways to make it more friendly, no matter the age?
4: Yeah, I think it really comes down to, to one word in some ways. It comes down to choice being able to provide people choice in the kinds of housing that is available to them choice in how they get around and what sort of transportation options are available to them and choice in the kinds of amenities and services that that would be nearby as a result of that. And what we're seeing is that, you know, many times, I think again, in the way that your earlier speakers mentioned, people make the choice that they want, don't want to live in as large a house as they always have, or they don't want to live in a place where they do have to shovel that snow when winter comes. And for communities that are able to offer, different kinds of housing solutions, that's wonderful for people that can find those options to remain in their same community. But when communities don't offer choice and they don't offer a range of housing options, that's often what compels people to look into uh, moving into other communities.
3: We heard from Jane Smith earlier that she and her husband first looked at some 55 and older communities. Can you describe uh, those planned developments? And um, for the most part, um, from your surveys, are those more desirable?
4: We didn't ask about those kinds of developments specifically, and I think that, again, going back to the word choice, those are one uh, option that that can be available to people and that many people find a lot of um, satisfaction in. What we have seen in our surveys is that people really value a a pretty diverse set of attributes that I think in some cases – um, are are met in existing communities, not age-restricted ones. Um, so that can include um, access to transportation options. That can include um, ability to walk to different amenities and locations. A lot of people really um, value being able to live in intergenerational communities and have access to civic and volunteer opportunities, um, particularly ones that involve folks from other generations. And I think that Again, that's why we encourage communities to think broadly about who lives in their community, how they can create places that appeal to people of all ages, including uh, older adults.
3: Uh, We heard from a woman on Facebook, Danielle, Susan, who writes, I hate living in the sticks now that my family is scattered and most of my friends are dead. I would love to live in a city or vibrant town, but I don't have the money to do so. And I guess that's a good uh, segue to my next question. When we think about um, people 55 and over that are able to uh, sell their homes and move into apartments or condos, is it a particular income range that are able to do that? And what about older Americans? Americans who are low income or come um, from different racial backgrounds, how do they find um, housing in these urban areas when we think about more luxury apartments possibly pushing them out?
4: Well, I think there's a couple things there. I think it's what are the hopes and aspirations of people at all income levels? Um, we did ask that question on our most recent survey, and we learned that irrespective of your income level, including people who earn less than $25,000 per year, For the most part, they want to be able to stay in their home and community as long as possible. So the desires are somewhat consistent, irrespective of of income level. But when we talk about affordability, I think that's a different challenge. And you alluded to, um, or you mentioned luxury apartments. And I think, again, that's one housing solution that can be very viable. But there are a lot of different ways that people can um, locate and can seek out housing solutions for themselves. Communities that have been particularly successful are ones that are very intentional about creating a a different, uh, a varied range of housing options across the income spectrum and and that look different. Um, So that's not just uh, about price point, but that's also creating smaller homes for people who want to live in in a smaller home and make the trade-off to have better walkability, better access, better proximity in exchange for fewer square feet in their home. Um, Other communities have... Uh, encourage something called accessory dwelling units, which are ways to create small affordable rental units attached to single family homes in many cases. That also adds in more affordable housing options in existing neighborhoods that can be an option for people who have uh, less money to spend on housing.
3: This is where we live. Uh, Today, we're uh, looking into um, how um, some baby boomers are trading in uh, the suburbs for the city. My in-studio guests are Jane Smith and Marguerite Rose, uh, two uh, Connecticut women who've been living in downtown Hartford uh, for a few years. And by phone, Danielle Aragoni, director of AARP Livable Communities Initiative. Uh, I wanted to go back to Marguerite, who's in studio with me. Uh, We were talking about age range. Uh, What's the age range of most of your friends now that you're in downtown Hartford and uh, what's your family think about um you living down here? The age
0: range of most of my friends goes from young to older. In our building there are some people that have lived there since it was built in 1969 coming up on our 50th anniversary. Um and they're in their 80s and we have some people in their 90s that are still well and also, a lot of young people that think it's great living downtown. And your second question?
3: Oh, I was curious about when, when Danielle was talking about um, how um, some um, older Americans are seeking out multi-generational oh, um, and what, housing. Yeah. And so is th- that something um, that you are really happy about, that you have yes. this wide range of, of, of fellow neighbors? Yes, and then you asked about what does my family think
0: yep. uh I'm a good place for people to stop over that have to fly early from the airport or for a son that comes in once a month for team meetings. So um, I love that. I love that I can be centrally located and help people out.
3: Mm. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about the importance of not uh, becoming isolated um, as uh, we all uh, grow older. And do you feel like you've got a, a good support network when you think about uh, also your neighbors who might be 80, 90? If someone doesn't see them for a while, someone's going to check on them? In our building,
0: and Jane, I'm sure that will happen in yours after you You're there for a while. You'll notice that. Gee, I haven't seen so and so in a while. Um, I'm going to knock on his door, or I'm going to tell um, we have a guard in the building, and I believe you do too at seven seven seven. So you just you're you're aware because you see your neighbors so often number one in the elevator. <laughs>
3: <laughs> and Jane, uh, you have been in an apartment for a couple of years. You're hoping maybe to buy a condo. As uh, When you think about price and how some of these are very uh, luxury uh, units, is that something that you're seeing more in downtown Hartford?
1: Well, we're, we're looking for a condo that would be two bedrooms, and they are a little bit limited in downtown Hartford. Although there is um, talk of a... Um, a planned community around the Bushnell with uh, with condos, so hopefully maybe that'll meet our time frame.
3: Uh, Danielle Aragoni is with us by phone from uh, AARP Livable Communities Initiative. We've got just a couple of minutes left, Danielle, but I know uh, your organization has some interesting grant programs to encourage livable communities. Can you tell us about those briefly?
4: Absolutely, uh, we run something called the Community Challenge Grant Program that uh, makes small quick action grants to communities around the country. We've done this now for two years. Um, And what that's really done is allow communities to demonstrate and put into action some of the really tactical things that they're contemplating to make great places for all people. So that ranges from transportation um, enhancements like bike share programs and new bike lanes to community gardens. Uh, In fact, several of our grantees in the last several years have been in Connecticut. And one of them in Hartford as well, Um, the Broad Street Community Garden, was a a project that was funded through our Connecticut State Office, um, which is is based there in Connecticut. But a lot of these programs have been really um, instrumental, I think, and very catalytic in demonstrating some of the kinds of work that communities can undertake to make themselves not just more uh, age-friendly for older adults, but again, more active, vibrant, engaging places for everyone.
3: Uh, one other uh, I thought was interesting that AARP uh, provides is a uh, toolkit to help uh, uh, identify roads and intersections that are pretty dangerous for pedestrians. So when thinking about encouraging walkability uh, for places that are still pretty uh, uh, reliant on on cars and people commuting into the city.
4: Absolutely. AARP has a, has a wealth of information um, that I would encourage people to check out at aarp.org slash livable and aarp.org slash Connecticut CT. And what you can find through those portals is a whole range of tools to both um, sort of get educated on the components of community that make them more walkable, make them more age-friendly, more livable. Um, There are several things there that allow people to take action themselves, such as the walk audit toolkit that you just mentioned, as well as a park audit that allows you to look at existing parks to see what enhancements can be made to make them more intergenerational. We actually also produced a document also called where we live uh that is features great <laughs> examples it. from across the, isn't it perfect <laughs> uh, that features examples from across the country this is the third now year that we've done it including several examples from around connecticut but really these are fabulous ideas that communities around the country have used to uh, create better places for everyone uh, ranging from housing creative housing solutions to innovative transportation options to great community parks and um, and public spaces. So i encourage everyone to check that out as well.
3: Well, I want to thank uh, uh, my two guests in studio for being here, Jane Smith and Marguerite Rose. Uh, before we head to break, uh, Marguerite, for our listeners, uh, some of them who might be thinking, is it time to sell the house and move into downtown Hartford? What would you tell them?
0: Think about it, number one, and uh, start to uh, downsize stuff that you do don't need even now in your house before you move out. And that can be hard to do. Jane?
1: I would encourage people. And I, I we often hear one, if there's a couple, one wants to and one doesn't or isn't uh, as into it. But yes, we've had a fabulous experience.
3: And when you move downtown, you don't give up your old friends. I know you go back to Suffield uh, to see uh, your friends and still hang out with them too.
1: Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> we do. And they love to come visit us.
3: Perfect. Well, Jane Smith and Marguerite Rose, thanks for coming in today. We appreciate it. Thank you.
1: Thank you for having me.
3: This is Where We Live. I'm Lucy Nalpithanchil. Danielle Aragoni from the AARP is going to stick around as we talk about a growing segment of the senior population, seniors who don't have family members to support them in their later years. Is that you? You can join us, 860-275-7266. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. First, if you enjoy the wide variety of conversations Where We Live brings you each day, you can support this program and WNPR with the Pledge of Support. Here's the number to
2: call. Hi, I'm Carmen Baskov. here with Lydia Brown. We're the producers of Where We Live. Thanks for joining us today and listening to Where We Live, the podcast. It does take a lot of work, as Lydia and I both know, to put together a a show like this with so many different voices and and coming to you, be a part of supporting that. The number to call 1-800-584-2788 or go online to wnpr.org slash donate. We are so happy to have you listening to this podcast. We found that oftentimes people don't even realize that it exists. They just think that we (laughs) broadcast between 9 and 10 a.m. and 7 and 8 p.m. But the reality is that you can go online and listen at any time of day, at your convenience. It's there for you, and we hope that you'll support it as well. Again, that number one 800 one 584 2788 Go online to wnpr.org. It's quick, it's easy, it's secure, and thank you so much in advance.
3: This is Where We Live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nopithanchel. Coming up Monday when it comes to gambling addiction, what segments of the U.S. population are most affected? On the next Where We Live, we'll learn about a new report by Connecticut Public Radio and the Sharing America America Initiative, which shines light on the issue of problem gambling among Southeast Asian refugees. And we want to hear from you too. That's Monday. Also, Where We Live is coming to a coffee shop near you. We're hosting coffee breaks at local cafes around the state to hear directly from you. What issue or story? in your community is not getting the attention it needs. You can join me and Where We Live producers Lydia Brown and Carmen Baskoff Tuesday, February 26th at Washington Street Coffee House in New London. Check out our Where We Live Facebook page for more information. Now, it's great to have someone to grow older with, but eventually you may need help. What do you do if your kids live out of state and you don't have a partner to lean on. My next guest is a retirement coach. It turns out the planning we all need to consider before retiring involves more than just financial security. Joining me by phone is Sarah Sarah Geff-Geber, a certified retirement coach and workshop leader at Life Encore and author of Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers, a retirement and aging roadmap for single and childless adults. Sarah, uh, tell me again how to pronounce your name. Uh, the last name is Geber. Okay, C-C-C-E-R. Sarah, I'm, I apologize, Sarah Zeph Geber. So, Sarah, thank you for joining us today. Uh, tell us about uh, what you've learned about solo agers, so to speak. Again, uh, people who are growing older and they don't have a family support uh, to, um, to have someone to help them as they grow older.
5: Yes, thank you. Um, I, being a solo ager myself, um, I became very interested in how people who didn't have children to help them as they get older should plan. And it turns out we should be doing much of the same things that everyone should be doing um, in terms of getting our um, um, our estate in order and setting up health care directives um, and and trusts. Uh, but it's uh, it's a little more urgent you might say for solo agers the the um, really important thing for solo agers is to make sure that they are developing and nurturing a strong support system and that support system may be members of their family it may be nieces and nephews, it may be siblings that are considerably younger um, or other relatives, but it may also be friends and people that uh, you've become close to over the years uh, that you don't want to, the relationships with, with which you don't want to see um, fade as you get older. So those are all very important things for solo agers because they won't have the support of adult children uh, as so many people rely on as they age.
3: We were hearing earlier from our guests uh, who live in multi-generational housing units uh, the importance of having friends all ages because, as uh, someone alluded to on Facebook, uh, sometimes the people closest to them um, have all passed away and they don't have anyone uh, to rely on. Uh, So when you think about um, how you counsel others uh, to have support, these solo agers, there's another term that we saw, which is elder orphans. That doesn't give us a lot of optimism when we hear that. That term, Sarah?
5: Yes, I'm not crazy about that term, and um, <clears throat> I don't use it because I don't, because it is, it does sound unpleasant, and I like to think that we all have lots of options, and um, we just need to know what they are and exercise those options. There are also professionals that one can hire. Um, for instance, my husband and I uh, will be. I've already started to interview professional fiduciaries and these are people that we will get to know over the next few years and that will be named on our uh, health care directives and our power of attorney for finances um, we not every state licenses professional fiduciaries <clears throat> excuse me at six o'clock in the morning here um, <laughs> We uh, are fortunate, actually, to live in one of the states that does, but there are also professional advocates, professional uh, guardians that are working, um, some of whom work on a private basis these days, not just for the courts. So if you are a solo ager and you're wondering what are my options, I would certainly look into that if you have very little family or no family around at all. Um, There are options for you that don't cost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Um, Lawyers, of course, hiring an attorney to do that is is very expensive, but most attorneys have um, professionals that they work with that are not as pricey that you may do the same with.
3: Uh, On the phone with me again is Sarah Zeff Geber, certified retirement coach and workshop leader at Life Encore. Author of the book Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers A Retirement and Aging Roadmap for Single and Childless Adults. We saw a statistic in the Washington Post about 22 percent of older adults in the U.S. fall into this category of being solo agers or are at risk of doing so in the future, according to a 2016 study. Uh, Also on the phone with us is Danielle Aragoni, director of AARP. Livable Communities Initiative. Uh, Danielle, how does AARP uh, reach out to the so-called solo agers to, to make sure um, that they're planning a, in the uh, a right way so that they're not isolated as they age?
4: Well, there's a couple things to that. I think one, certainly, <coughs> we very much encourage, <coughs> excuse me, individuals to be thinking about their saving and planning and to be sure that they're <coughs> proactive in saving for retirement. So there's a good number of resources available through AARP.org on that topic. Uh, More than anything, we encourage people to save and and look to the future from a financial standpoint. But I think a really important part of the discussion too is about situating oneself in a place where they can age gracefully and age in place. And that does mean, from our perspective, we are seeing that uh, a lot of people are drawn to and that there are a lot of benefits to. Locating in communities where you are more connected with other people, um, I think the degree to which our built environment shapes our personal behavior has a lot to do with how connected people feel or how isolated they feel. And making housing choices that facilitate more interaction with people can go a long way to, I think, building that safety net of the social networks that one needs, particularly solo agers, uh, to, to live successfully, to live safely, to live well in their uh, older years.
3: Uh, Sarah, I'll go back to you. I understand you put on workshops for solo agers. Uh, do you suggest they consider moving to cities to have uh, more uh, support or just people who may be used to seeing them and checking on them uh, in their apartment buildings?
5: Well, yes, all of the above. Um, I totally agree with Danielle. Housing is an extremely important aspect of a solo ager's life. And um, I am a huge fan of aging in community, whatever that means. Um, I, I sometimes get people who are just determined to age in their single-family home on two or three acres, and they have they don't even know most of their neighbors. I think that is very dangerous, very risky. Um, I my the top thing that I advocate is moving to a community. Um, I am in favor of solo agers that can afford to move into a retirement community doing so um sooner rather than later i think that people should be in a in whatever community they're going to retire in by the time they're 75 um whether that's a co-housing community a um and i've become a huge fan of mobile home parks um Any kind of community that puts you in closer contact with your neighbors, and, of course, obviously the kind of community where you can get the help that you may need, as in a continuing care community, an assisted living community, Uh, those are top of my list for solo agers. I'm not a huge fan of solo agers aging in place in in any situation where they're not in very close contact with others.
3: Uh, Danielle, did you want to uh, respond to Sarah's point? And we've been focused a lot on just thinking about communities um, in the United States. But if somebody doesn't have children, uh, maybe doesn't have a partner, are there places abroad that are a good place uh, to, to live and you know have a, a good quality of life?
4: Well, I, I can't speak to the sort of international destinations that are appealing. I, I do know that a number of uh, retirees have sought to relocate to Central America and, and places like that, and that, that's a wonderful choice. I do want to really um, underscore Sarah's point about housing and just the importance of thinking about housing. Both of the examples that she mentioned, co-housing and mobile home parks, are, are a little bit unconventional in some ways. Um, many communities do not all do all that they can to support um, the creation of those kinds of housing options, and yet they are exactly the kind of gap that really needs to be uh, filled in order to give people options for those who want to remain in their same community, the same city or town where they have lived there many years, where they have their friend network, where they have their uh, social safety net, if you will. Um, and yet, if they are if they are not able to find those kinds of options, if they are not um available housing choices, such as co-housing or such as mobile home parks or such as uh, small cottage neighborhoods or duplexes or apartment buildings, then people are forced to um, to leave that safety net that really can become so instrumental, I think, uh, in, in later years, particularly for solo Uh
3: Sarah, my question about, uh, do you have people that are um, interested in moving abroad?
5: Um I love that idea, I think especially for people who um, don't have the retirement savings to move into um, a continuing care community or some place that they will be not only safe but happy and have a community around them. Um, I think exploring the opportunities abroad are excellent. There are huge communities of uh, American expatriates in parts of Mexico, uh, in um, in <clears throat> Costa Rica, in Panama, in in Portugal, um, there are growing uh, growing interest in Thailand. So many places that are very uh, very receptive to American retirees and are much much more affordable. <laughs>
3: Uh, Danielle, uh, from the AARP, when we think about alternative uh, housing um, options for older Americans, can that be difficult depending on where someone lives because of zoning restrictions?
4: Absolutely. Um, I I think what we've seen for the last 50 or 70 years is a predisposition to construct housing of two types. One, single-family detached homes, which definitely fill a need for a lot of people, but need not be the only housing option, or high-rise multifamily housing, um, such as you described earlier in the show. In between that, there's a sort of gap that we call missing middle housing, that is a a term that has been coined and and is more commonly used. It speaks to really the diversity of housing choices that historically have been in place in communities, everything from garden apartments to uh, three-story walk-up apartments, triplexes and things like that. That very much comes down to the kind of um, zoning and and, uh, building code context that is in place in the locality. We actually just this week released a new document called Making Room, which we produced with the National Building Museum here in D.C. that features a whole range of really innovative and creative housing solutions that communities are using all around the U.S. Um, And a lot of this requires some significant Um, exemptions to be made to existing zoning code, but the point of the book is to show that it's possible. And particularly when you have a groundswell of community members who are interested in creating more diverse housing in their community, that gives local officials the kind of impetus and uh, cover that they need to really make some of the difficult choices, um, particularly around zoning reform.
3: I started the show talking about how when we age, it's important to not become isolated because evidence shows that uh, people who are lonely uh, end up having um, more issues with depression and other health uh, concerns. Uh, there's a, uh, the Washington Post article that I cited earlier. There are 40% of people that were a part of this elder orphan Facebook group, 500 members admitted to depression, 37% to anxiety, more than half confessed to being lonely, all of those uh, speaks to the um, issue of, of not uh, becoming isolated as you age. With just a couple of minutes left Sarah, what are some closing thoughts uh, for people to think about um, as they uh, you know as they get older about not uh, allowing themselves to become isolated?
5: Well, it's going to differ from one person to another um, but I think that solo agers need to think long and hard about what they're going to to do in the future when they may not be as mobile as they are today. It's it's hard for people who are in their <clears throat> 50s or 60s or even early 70s and who are still driving and mobile and feel pretty good to imagine a time when they may actually need help with some of the activities of daily living. Um, but it's so important to think ahead to where is that assistance going to mm-hmm. come from.
3: Well, Sarah, Ooh, I... Well, we're actually out, almost out of time, but we want to thank you for joining us. Sarah Zeff-Gebber, Geber, is the author of Essential Retirement Planning for Solo Agers, a Retirement and Aging Roadmap for Single and Childless Adults. Thank you, Sarah. Also, Danielle Aragoni, director of ARP Livable Communities Initiative. Uh, today's show produced by Scott Breedy. I'm Lucy nolpoth If you appreciate the programs on WMPR, please support us now. Here's the number.